A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Tell your birthdays. This is Mummy work. Okay, thanks. Kia ora. Welcome back to another episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. Thank you so much for being here. If you are new, my name is Jordan. I'm a mum to two beautiful boys. I have Jai, who is three, Ali, who is one and a half. I've also got a business baby alongside Kiwi Birth Tales. I've got your birth project, which is an online hypnobirthing course designed to help you create your best birth. It is an online store, pregnancy, birth and postpartum related products. It is a beautiful pregnancy, birth and postpartum related journal that is all about reflection, education and becomes a beautiful keepsake for you to keep forever and ever and ever. And very excitingly, (laughs) it is also on location or in-person hypnobirthing courses as well. So these will be held in Papamoa in the beautiful Bay of Plenty. So if you're local and you are pregnant or you become pregnant, um, make sure you check out my website www.yourbirthproject.com to find out all the information about the in-person courses. Um, You did get the online course as well as part of that membership, so make sure you go and check that out. That is launching very, very soon. So today I have another birth story for you. Look at me, pumped out two birth story episodes this week and last week, I feel like I deserve a bloody medal or something um, because I was struggling to get one out a week um, for a while there. So I'm very grateful to everybody who submits their story um, and allows me to have this many episodes out on the podcast. So today I'm speaking with the beautiful Kate. Um, she's got two pregnancy and birth stories to share with us. This is an episode so full of information um, and we cover like just honestly so many different topics um so I will let Kate do the majority of the talking but a very quick overview of what we cover um Kate had a gastric sleeve surgery and she talks about being pregnant post that um also some mental health um around weight gain she talks about her birth plans for her first birth which was an induction um failed vontose and then a forcep and episiotomy delivery uh, so she had some birth trauma associated with that and she talks us through just really that whole experience and then she unfortunately suffered from un- unexplained secondary infertility so we talk through that um, quite in depth and what that was like for them into a pregnancy that was supported by IVF and then a very fast spontaneous beautiful positive birth story Um, for her second baby Reggie and um, he actually ended up with viral meningitis so she talks us through that as well so it's a packed episode um, heaps of information in there I know you're going to get a lot from it so I will let you enjoy the episode and jump into it thanks again for having me in your ears I appreciate you choosing to listen to me every week if you want to find me at Kiwi Birth Tales or at Your Birth Project on Instagram or send me an email jordan j-o-r-d-y-n at kiwibirthtales.com Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. No worries. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yeah, sure thing. Um, My name's Kate, obviously. My husband, Scotty, and I and our two sons, Ted, who is three, and Reggie, who's five months, live on a dairy farm down near Gore in Southland. Um, We run the dairy farm and we also have Oh, I have a wee food-based business um, called Sweet Bell Kitchen, but awesome. um, it's currently on hold while I 
Mm-hmm. Um, let Reggie get a bit bigger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. Do you want to talk us through what the journey was like to pregnancy for you and Scotty the first time around? Yeah, so with um, Ted, we got married in March 2019. Um, I'd come off the pill in about November just to, we knew that we wanted to start trying straight away and um, I just wanted to let my body sort of reset and figure out what was going on. Um, I actually got my period on our wedding day, which was really uncool. Oh, no. Luckily, we fell pregnant in the next, um, that next cycle, so... That was really, really fortunate in hindsight. I, at the time, I was in shock, but um, mm. now that I know what I know, um, we're so lucky. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And how were you feeling in that first sort of trimester? Did you have many pregnancy symptoms? So I um, just felt real miserable, like tired, lethargic. Mm. Um, and I actually went to the doctor because I thought maybe, like leading up to our wedding, Obviously, it's quite stressful, and I yeah. thought maybe my bloods were off or something. And she said, "Do you think you could be pregnant?" And I was like, "Oh, damn!" Mm. Um, and did a pregnancy test, and it was negative there with her. Um, I think my period was like due that day or something. And then the next day, it hadn't come, obviously. And then the next day was Anzac Day, so everything was shut. And then I was in Dunedin for work, and I was like, "Oh, just grab another test." went home and did it and yeah it was positive um I was shocked I walked down the hallway to Scott and I was like oh my god I can't believe it like <laughs> how do we look this one and then yeah instantly snapchatted my two best friends and I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in hindsight I probably should have surprised them a bit better than that but um yeah I think shock was my main feeling at the time yeah um yeah. But I felt pretty good, like, yeah, compared to what a lot of people deal with, it wasn't too bad, just really tired. Um, We went to Hawaii on our honeymoon, and I cannot even think of ramen still. um, Oh, no. (laughs) Which is really unfortunate. And there's a place over there called the Cheesecake Factory, and we went there, and it just made me feel revolting, and I still can't think of it either. Um. (laughs) so yeah just some foods if I ate them that's it I could never touch them again but um yeah yeah, at the start it was just that and then yeah yeah awesome and did you decide to go with a midwife for your care or what did your um, model of care look like yeah so I was under midwife care I actually I'd had a gastric sleeve surgery in 2017 um and that went really well for me, which was awesome. Under my surgeon had recommended when I get pregnant to be under OB care as well as midwife care, mm-hmm. just just to check on growth and things like that, which he'd never had any problems with. But, you know, to be extra sure, um, there can be some nutrient absorption issues mm-hmm. following gastric sleeve surgery, but um, especially B12, but mine were pretty good. I'm quite good at remembering to take my vitamins and um things like that Mm. so my midwife was my main carer but I did have OB care which I didn't enjoy to be honest um I found them to be quite like obviously not very they didn't know you very well because you only saw Mm. them very irregularly one of them about maybe 28 30 weeks said 
I should probably not gain any more weight. No. <laughs> and I was like, no, okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll take that on board, thanks. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had, um, I did have growth scans because of the um, gastric sleeve surgery, um, yeah. which in the end picked up that Ted had slowed his growth a lot near the end. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that was just at the end of your pregnancy or like the, the ones before that were pretty normal? Yeah. So I can't remember. I think the first one was at 32 weeks maybe. Oh, yeah. um, and then that was normal. 36 weeks was normal. And they just got me back at 38 for another one. And he pretty much hadn't grown mm-hmm. between the 36 and the 38 week one. Um so, yeah, they sort of came up with a plan from there what was going to happen in yeah. terms of having them. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And what about your sort of thoughts around birth education and the way that you wanted your birth to go? Did you do much, um, yeah, by the way of learning and antenatal courses and things like that? What did that look like for you? With Ted, I was very naive. I just thought, like, we're dairy farmers. We... Yeah. Cows have calves, and I was like, humans have babies. Yeah, Um, I'll be fine. (laughs) I wish I'd done more. We did antenatal, well, I did an antenatal class in Gore, um, which I found a great place to meet people that were having Mm. babies at the same time. I didn't really find it super educational. Um, The only things I did find good were they taught us how to swaddle and bath a baby, which I had no idea how to do things so that was actually practical useful stuff but in terms of um, pain management techniques they talked us through the drugs that would be available but nothing like Mm. you know more natural I guess pain management options Um, unfortunately Scott couldn't actually go to um, the antenatal class because I mean dairy farmers will know but yeah the farm sort of takes over occasionally so he Mm. wasn't able to make it it was a weekend course which was quite good um but yeah, great place to meet people. Probably mm. didn't provide a lot of um, actual education for me. Yeah. And yeah. that was all I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And what about your thoughts around birth? Like, did you want to go to the hospital? What did your options look like where you live? And yeah, what were your thoughts around like a birth plan or how you might want your birth to go? So I was really keen to give birth in Gore. It's a, It's in the hospital, but it's a maternity like a birthing center rather um so there's a there's a birthing pool in terms of pain relief there's gas um it's about probably 45 minutes in an ambulance to Invercargill hospital Mm -hmm. if you needed to be transferred um but I like the idea of not being in a hospital as such Mm -hmm. um that was my ideal ideally I would have liked to have been in water um, no pain management and yeah. or no sorry I probably wouldn't have said no pain management I was open to whatever I needed to get mm-hmm. through yeah. um, but I suppose if it's not there then you're less likely to lean yeah. for it maybe yeah yeah awesome cool and did you find out the sex of your baby in your pregnancy what were your thoughts around that no with Ted we kept a surprise um mm-hmm which I really liked. Ted, uh, sorry, Scott was really keen to 
um, find out. So yeah. our compromise was that we'd find out next time round. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Ted was a surprise. Yeah, awesome. Cool. And how are you feeling in that sort of late stage of pregnancy? I know you said that you had some um, potential growth restrictions. So what did the end of your pregnancy look like? And, yeah, what were your thoughts around um, when they talked about low growth? Um, I was probably pretty not too worried, I guess. I trusted, I still do trust our midwife. Um, She's brilliant and I just wanted to take her advice. I was, I did sort of struggle mentally, I guess, um, during the pregnancy just with my body changes. I think I've been through such a big weight loss journey and then all of a sudden I, I did gain quite a lot of weight with Ted's pregnancy. Um, and it was completely what felt out of my control, which I didn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I also got real bad baby brain, which I know people say it kind of flippantly, but um, yeah. I actually really struggled with it. Like I couldn't remember anything. I, yeah. you know, I was kind of work still full time and um, I was working as, as a sales rep at the time and work on the farm at the weekends. And Scott would tell me to go do something and I'd, sort of get to the paddock and be like what am I doing here I have no idea um so yeah I did actually really struggle with that but um it's it completely came right as soon as I had Ted which was good um but the yeah the growth thing I didn't feel overly stressed about it I was just you know the safest felt like I was in the safest hands yeah yeah awesome cool and do you want to talk us through what happened around your labour? So did you go into spontaneous labour or, yeah, what happened there and then into your labour and birth story? Yeah, so I had that scan at 38 weeks and that was a Thursday, um, the week before Christmas. <laughs> um, so <laughs> sort of public holidays and things like that coming up. So I had the scan on the Thursday, met with my midwife on the Friday and she said, they're keen to induce you Sunday. Um, And I probably, when the induction thing was mentioned, I was quite scared because I hadn't heard any good stories about being induced. Mm. Um, But at the same time, I knew that if he wasn't growing, you know, he he needed to come out so we could figure out if there was something wrong or what was happening. So, um, yeah, that was the plan. Uh, Due date was the 1st of January, and if we didn't take the induction day as that Sunday, the next induction day that was available was the 2nd of January. So just with mm-hmm. Christmas and things like that. So yeah. we kind of had to go for it. Um, so went down to Invercargill. Um, they don't do inductions in Gore. So sort of had to leave the idea of birthing in Gore behind. Um, yeah. Down to Invercargill Hospital, which is exactly where I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. and they inserted a balloon catheter for me, um, which for me was painless. I didn't – lots of people say it hurts, but I didn't really mm-hmm. – just a pressure sort of thing. Yeah. Um, there is some other options, but, I, yeah, I sort of felt like if we could avoid um, introducing any hormones, that would be quite mm-hmm. good at the start. Yeah. So I put that in and then um, – we just settled down for the night. I stayed in the hospital by myself and Scott actually went and stayed at his mum's um, yeah. just so he could have a good night's sleep as well. And 
about two o'clock in the morning, I started feeling a bit of pain in my lower back that was coming and going. And it probably didn't last for too long. And I went to the bathroom and the balloon came out, which mm. I was kind of shocked by because I hadn't sort of said that that might happen. Mm. Um, but called the nurse and she said, oh, that's really good because it means that your cervix has started to open up. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of done its job. And the pain stopped at that point. And I just went back to sleep in the morning. um, They came in. I didn't have any pain at all, really. I sort of thought I did. (laughs) But in hindsight, no, nothing. Um, And they broke my waters at about 10 o'clock in the morning and told me to, I had two hours basically to go into labour and Mm. put into active labour. And if I didn't... um, then they would introduce oxytocin. So I was walking around the hospital outside doing curb walking and walking up and down the stairs and just trying to be really active. Um, I went back into the ward. I really pushed it out to probably two and a half hours. Did you um, feel quite pressured around that like time restriction that they'd given you? Like, What did you feel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it was really hanging over my head, like, mm-hmm. right, I've got two hours, I need to get this going. Um mm-hmm. And it probably has the opposite effect of what you're wanting mm. it to because, yeah, the body doesn't like to be rushed. Yeah. Um, and then I went back into the ward and she was like, all right, um, ho- grab your stuff and hop into the birthing room. And I was like, sorry, pardon, I don't understand what you're <laughs> telling me. I was hoping I might have a bit longer, but um, went in there and she's like, we're going to put the um, oxytocin in now. And I was quite shocked, mm. like, oh, okay, right, this is happening then. Um, And at that point, I really didn't have a choice. They weren't going to let me carry on because my waters had been broken. Um, They weren't going to let me carry on any longer. Um, So I can't remember if they checked me at that point or not. They probably did. Um, Mm. But, yeah, the oxytocin line went in and I was constantly monitored from that point, which I hated. I felt Mm. like... Because you can't, um, you can't go on water, which I really lo- wanted to be able to do. Mm. You're sort of, I sort of felt like a zoo animal, like just chained yeah. to a pole. I was yeah. walking around trying to, um, trying to be active, but yeah, you, I felt really restricted. Mm. Um, and they had some trouble, like getting a good monitor of Ted, just because I was trying to be on the Swiss ball and bounce and things like that, and the monitors, um just weren't getting a good read yeah. of them. So they actually put a one of those clips was inserted onto his head um, that can monitor their heart rate and things like that a lot more accurately. Yeah, there's no risk of the um, e- those external monitors yeah. thing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they started the oxytocin, the contraction started quite quickly and really hard um they didn't like build up nicely and then sort of taper off they came in really hard and then lasted for ages and I'd maybe get sort of 30 seconds rest and then another one came on really hard mm-hmm. um so it wasn't it really didn't give my body any time to um like adjust to what was going on mm-hmm. I guess um and I struggled with that I felt completely out of control I didn't have any because there was no um you know rest time so I didn't have time to sort of 
get yeah. any energy or um have a yeah have a rest or whatever um yeah. so i i think we started the oxytocin at 11 30 so i might have got the timing a little bit wrong there before but um by three o'clock i was on the gas um i had a tens machine on but it wasn't really cutting it anymore so um yeah got on the gas which i guess helped take the edge off um but it was still very out of control yeah which yeah um they called my midwife who came in at about four o'clock and i felt so much relief seeing her there instead of the hospital midwives like just a familiar face and I knew that she was going to be able to advocate for me um, as well. But the the contractions were still quite hard and, um, yeah, I was really struggling. I was only like five centimetres or something like yeah. that. So at five I decided to have an epidural. So I guess I'd been in, in labour for about five hours at that point. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was tired and it just wasn't progressing because everything just felt really tense. Yeah. So um, they put the epidural in. And this, I still remember the um, doctor coming in to do it and it was like an angel walking into the room. <laughs> angel yeah. Annie. Was her name? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, she came in and put it in and just instant relief that I felt, um, which was good for all of us, I think. Mum was yeah. there as well. and It's hard for her to deal with mm-hmm. it. And then it was hard for Scott too. So... Had the epidural. Um, at that point, the OBs were coming in as well because um, Ted had some D cells, so it had sort of drop and then but re- like get back to normal quite quickly and, mm. and easily. So they weren't overly concerned, but um, it was sort of noted at that point. And they also started me on antibiotics then, and I mm. I don't know why because my temperature was normal, but um, as it turns out, my temperature spiked later. So okay. I'm not really sure why they started it then, but anyway, they did. Um, so with the epidural, I got to have a bit of a rest. I did still feel pressure, but it wasn't pain. So sort of like pressure down below, but mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't hurt at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then they checked me again. My midwife checked me, and she thought I was um, – good like 10 centimeters and ready to push um so that was cool we started doing that and I pushed for an hour and nothing had really progressed so um one of the obstetricians rechecked me and I was actually only nine centimeters and there was a bit of a lip Mm. so at that point they told me to have another have a sleep I had to sleep for an hour um they came back in and checked me and then I was actually 10 centimeters and ready to go yeah. Um, so I started pushing again and that was about 11.30 at night by that point. So I'd been in labor for sort of 12 hours, hadn't had any food or anything. I was pretty mm. buggered. Yeah. Um, and again, no progress. He was still quite high. So at that point they decided to put the Vontos on or the Kiwi Cup was the other thing it was called to try and pull him down through my pelvis. Um, I don't know if in hindsight that was the best idea, but that's what happened anyway. Um, And it actually popped off four times, so it was reattached five times. 
yeah. which um, I don't know if you've had one or not, but it's no, quite, it's a real horrible feeling when they're putting it on. It's like, well, I don't really know how to describe it, but like they're rummaging around inside you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very glad at this point to have the epidural in yeah. um, because I don't think I could have handled that without, I would have, yeah, just been asking for a C-section, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So the Vontos failed and then they decided to attach forceps and give me an episiotomy um, yeah. and use that to pull him down. And, yeah, poor old Scotty, he was just sitting there watching the machine waiting for contractions to come on because that was, like, mm-hmm. something he could focus on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, and mum, <laughs> mum was just sitting in the corner, like, a stunned yeah, yeah, just in shock, I think. Mm. Did um, you feel like in shock at that stage, or like did you feel like you had an idea of what was going on, or you like had you heard of any of the things that they were doing? I had heard of it. Um, I felt quite calm, weirdly. I was just, mm. I trusted them, um, and yeah. I trusted my midwife, yeah, um, who I was taking and I was just listening to her basically. Mm. I there was a lot of people in the room and because of the D-cells, the um, PEDS doctors were waiting as well just to check yeah. on Ted when he was born. Um, but I felt quite calm, like, yeah, I didn't feel at any point that either of us were at risk, and I don't mm. know if it's just naivety or what, but, yeah, I was actually okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, using the forceps, Ted was born, Um and they popped him up onto my chest and they had, so I remember him looking up at me and I was like, oh, g'day. <laughs> like he looked at me like, whoa, that was a lot, wasn't it? Um, but his, he was quite stunned. His cord had been around his neck and around his arm as well. And so um, they said his breathing wasn't like, as they would have liked it. So I really wanted delayed cord clamping, but they cut the cord quite quickly and moved him over to the PEDS doctor. Yeah. Um, I think we got like a little bit of skin to skin then. I can't really remember, but mm. yeah, they took him over to the that um, table thing. I don't yeah. know what it's called. Where they check the babies over. Yeah. And he had some oxygen and um, Scott just stood there with him. There's not really much we could do at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, he needed a bit of help. They did move him, I think, at that point, they moved him back to me for some more skin to skin, but they still weren't happy. So they actually decided to take him down to neonatal um, to check him over. Yeah. So I was sort of left there with my mm-hmm. midwife. Everyone left. I sent Scott with Ted, mum was there, um, which was good. I don't know, you know in a cartoon when they feel sick and they suddenly turn green? Mm -hmm. That's what happened to Scott. Like I looked at him and his face just turned green and I was like, I think you need to sit down or you're going to pass out. Um, So he recovered, yeah, and then he went down to neonatal. um, But they sent him back, sent Ted back quite quickly. Yeah, Um, They weren't too concerned I gave him a breastfeed, which was, he had a bit, um, probably not enough. So they decided to give him some dextrose as well. 
just to try and help the blood sugars up a bit. Um, and I think they did test his blood sugars then, and they were low. So they decided mm-hmm. to take him back down to neonatal again. So he sort of went down, came back, and then they went down there again. Yeah. Was he, what was um, his birth weight? Uh, six pounds seven. So okay. quite like, yeah, I suppose at 38 plus three, decent, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, a lot smaller than what I thought. I always thought I'd have big babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm a bigger person, but... Um, at that growth scan at 38 weeks, she said he'd be about six pounds seven, so she was on the money. Um, I know a lot of people say growth scans can be inaccurate, but you know, mm. she was very much accurate. Yeah, so I was just left in the room with no baby, no husband, <laughs> mm-hmm. my midwife, um, who was brilliant, and she gave me, like, I was fine, to, I got the Milo. That everyone talks about and I got yeah. the um, peanut butter toast um, like we prize at the end and yeah she gave me a clean and tidy up and things like that I couldn't really have a share I think I was probably a bit too um, yeah not strong enough to have a share at that point and I was put in my room and put put to sleep I went to sleep <laughs> for a while um and yeah, Scotty came back. So he was born at twelve forty-one in the night. Um, and by the time Scott got back to the room to go to bed, it was about three thirty. So yeah, a few hours, sort of fluffing around and um, getting sorted. And Ted mm-hmm. stayed down in neonatal. And it was Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. 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 By that point. Oh wow! And what sort of happened? from there so did he have to stay um in the neonatal ward for long and how were you feeling like obviously you've just given birth and um you had an assisted delivery and then your babies ended up in neonatal and you're sort of there like how were you feeling at that stage do you feel like you had the chance to process anything that had just happened and what sort of happened from there um I probably hadn't had a chance to process it um Mm. I was like physically obviously I'd had an episiotomy so I had to be stitched up yeah. um I was a bit sore but not too bad like sort of felt like bad mm-hmm. bruising I guess um I was tired really really tired um he stayed and I get a little bit fuzzy on the days because everything sort of blend into everything but I think mm-hmm. we ended up going back to gore um on the day after boxing day so the 27th Um, or maybe it was Boxing Day. So we had Christmas in hospital, which was weird. (laughs) Um, Really cute and neonatal. They had, like, Santa came and gave all the babies presents and things like that. And there was a wee gift there for me and stuff, which was really nice. Um, My parents came down on Christmas Day and brought us some food, which was really good because everything was shut, obviously. Mm. And um, hospital Christmas dinner isn't, like, something I would – really crave <laughs> no, no, um, hospital food's no good um, and in Chicago anyway so he'd had he had really the really low blood sugars they ended up putting a um, feeding tube in just to help get some calories into him The because the birth was so hard on him as well I think he got really tired and lethargic and couldn't feed so I was pumping um, 
the neonatal nurses are amazing. They really look after you and the baby, which is, um, yeah, just so amazing. And they communicate everything that's going on as well because yeah. it can be really overwhelming and confusing and, mm. yeah, especially your first baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we went back to Gore. By the time we got to Gore, we got there and straight away I tried to feed him and he was really lethargic. I was pretty naive, but um, I wasn't too stressed about, but the nurse called my midwife in at that point. The nurses in the hospital, I just, I didn't really find them, over, well, the particular one that I had, um, this is the nurses on the ward, just quite dismissive almost, um, mm -hmm. like that birth was quite traumatic and the nurse came in and said, oh, yep, so you had a normal birth. And mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't feel normal, like, yeah, yeah, like normal birth, here's some Panadol, you'll be right, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, yeah, no, it wasn't really normal. Yeah. She was trying to help me express some colostrum, um, but she would take over and, like, was milking me, essentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, instead of showing me how to do it. And mm -hmm. I didn't find that helpful at all, like, um, yeah touching me and I was really over sensitized and I was on codeine which makes me sort of trip out a wee bit mm -hmm. um so yeah I just didn't really like that experience your experience as the birthing person is really important and assuming that you felt like you had a normal birth and throwing you some panadol and all of that type of thing like that contributes to your postpartum period right yeah yeah for sure mm -hmm. definitely especially when your baby's not there with you as well yeah um, yeah 100% it's a bit of a strange thing to have given birth and your baby's not beside you. Yeah, but anyway, when we were in Gore, he was quite lethargic and I managed to get some milk into him with a bottle and they, I think they gave him some dextrose as well just to help his energy levels. We ended up having two nights in Gore and they were keeping a close eye on his, is it Billy Rubin, that determines oh, yeah. if they're jaundice or not. Um, yeah. Yeah, they were keeping a close eye on that and he'd actually gone into the treatment zone with that. So... After two nights in Gore, we were moved back to Neonatal in Invercargill, um, which was horrible. I thought we were heading home sort of thing. But, yeah, back down to Invercargill for him to have some time on the billy bed. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, which did help a lot. He it, he had about 12 hours in there. And then I remember waking up in the night. He was in, had come back into my room with me on the ward. And he just looked like a completely different baby. He'd sort mm. of got a little bit chubby. And um, <laughs> I actually thought he'd been swapped. I was like, is that my baby? He's suddenly, like, looks healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we had another night down there in Invercargill. And then eventually got to come home. Yeah. So I think we are away for a week in the end. Okay. And what was the feeling like for you coming home? How did you find... Yeah, bringing home your baby after that whole experience and um, you're a mum now and <laughs> there's so many yeah. changes that you've gone through. So how did you find, yeah, um, that whole period? Probably quite overwhelming, to be honest. Like, obviously it's amazing and, yeah, got our baby home, but so overwhelming. Everything's different and everything revolves around this little mm. human that I had no idea how to care for. Yeah. Um, I was definitely like floundering around trying to figure out how to when to feed him, how to feed him, 
um, mm. how often to feed him, how to get him to go to sleep. I didn't know about babies, how quickly they yeah. get overtired. And yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot. My mum was there, which was really good. And I've got mm. some amazing friends that had had babies as well. So could message them and ask for help. But and my yeah. midwife, obviously, she'd come out and visit us um, to make sure everything was all right. But, yeah, definitely a fish out of water. Mm, um, mm. I feel like that's just parenting, though. Like, no, totally. you've never done it until you've done it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And how did you find the recovery, like, from your episiotomy and just your birth in general? Um, what was your physical recovery like? Yeah, pretty good. The episiotomy healed fine. I had no mm. problems there. I would say my physical recovery was pretty good. I, yeah, oh, we went into lockdown in March, was it, that year? So yeah. Ted was about three months old, and I'd just been starting to get back into baking cakes and things like that. Yeah. And in hindsight, I really shouldn't have been like, I should have just slowed down. So mm. the lockdown was probably perfect timing for us. It made us just stop and yeah. be after focus on Ted for a while. So yeah. as tough as it was, it was probably a blessing for us. And what about your mental health postpartum? Like how did you find the changes in hormones and the sleep deprivation and everything that sort of comes with having a new baby and probably also processing um, your birth as well? How did you find that in your postpartum period? I think the, um, mentally I was fine. The exhaustion was just hard to deal with but mm-hmm. I could like just go to bed and have a nap during the day I didn't have to worry about any other kids or um yeah. going to work or anything like that and yeah. yeah I could just sleep which was good um I did really struggle to let anyone else look after him because mm. I don't know I just had some trust issues I guess yeah. but yeah. once if I could and have a day sleep it really helped because yeah. Yeah, sleep is just so important for recovery mentally and physically. Yeah. And how did you go with your feeding journey? What did that look like? So I pumped when we were in hospital to supplementary feed him. I had a good amount of milk. Um, Then I was trying to catch all my letdown on the other side in a um, hucket pump. Mm -hmm. And then we always gave him a top up just in the evening with the bottle so I was breastfeeding yeah. him during the day and then I felt my supply dropped off in the evening. So we gave him a wee bottle just to help him yeah. Yeah, sleep a bit better. And then I sort of wasn't getting as much let down and um, was struggling a wee bit with supply. So we started that bottle. We changed to formula in lockdown. It was. I'd been resisting for a long time because mm-hmm. I really felt like if I'd gave him formula, I was a bad mum. And I mm. think it's just we just put so much pressure on ourselves as mums to mm. live up to these expectations. But once we gave him formula, man, that was a game changer. He slept so much better and was so much yeah. more content. And so I ended up feeding him for about eight and a half months. And then one day he just didn't want to be breastfed anymore and just wanted bottles. So that was fine. We were both, yeah, sort of ready for it, I guess. And obviously I know that you've got little Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how did his pregnancy come about? And yeah, take us through finding out that you were pregnant or what the journey was actually like to pregnancy with Reggie. Yeah, so Reggie, we wanted ideally quite a close age gap. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for those that were listening well at the start, Ted's three and Reggie's five months. So it wasn't quite mm-hmm. the age gap that we'd wanted. Sort of yeah. about six months after I had Ted, my period came back and I was like, oh, well, you know, we sort of decided if it happened, it happened. And we'll yeah. just sort of stop not trying. Um, I So that was fine. I actually hurt my back, that carving. So in September 2020, and I didn't really think much of it at the time, to be mm. honest. I just flipped over, got up and carried on. But that got quite painful. Um, and whether or not it's contributed to what happened, I don't know. Mm. But mm. So we'd been trying for about six months and nothing had happened. Went to the doctor and she was really good. She ran some blood tests. They can run a blood test to see if you're ovulating or not. And mm. I was. Um, and she also did an AMH test, which gives you an indication of your egg reserve. And mine was normal for um, my age. So she sort of said, you know, try for another four months or so and come back if nothing's happened and we'll come up with a plan. So, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did that. Went back again. She ran the same tests and just some general bloods and everything was normal. Um, And she said, give it another two months. And at that stage, it'll be... A year we'd been trying for a year by then if nothing's happened I'll refer you to fertility associates um I was probably feeling quite desperate at that point like why isn't it happening it happened straight away for Ted Mm. you know what's wrong with either me or Scott um you know why isn't this happening and I didn't realize you could actually self-refer to fertility associates you don't yeah. have to wait for the doctor to refer you. And if I had known, I probably would have got us in yeah. a bit sooner. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have changed the um, time frame of that things happened or not, but mm-hmm. it would have been good to know I could have done that. Yeah. Um, I So during that winter, I went for a couple of appointments to have visceral manipulation, which is like um, my understanding of it is like a massage for your internal organs basically to make sure nothing's twisted or blocked or yeah just to make sure all the systems are going properly um Mm. but it always seemed to fall the appointments seemed to fall just before my period was due and if there's any risk that you're pregnant they can't really do as much Mm. so um it was I think I like the theory of it but I probably didn't get the value out of it that I could have done Mm. um and yeah, we went on holiday in July and I was like, this is it. Like I feel tired and I feel um, nauseous. I'm pregnant. I'm definitely pregnant. Anyway, I wasn't pregnant. I got my period yeah. when we were on holiday and I was just gutted. And um, my friend had mentioned that she'd got Chinese acupuncture and we're in Hamna and I saw this lady advertise that she does Chinese acupuncture and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go for an appointment mm. just to see what she says, even though we're like way away from home. 
went to see her and she sort of said, I can't really, this is something that you need to have continuously. Um, but I think she probably mainly did acupuncture just to chill me out a bit um, and said, you know, try someone else that's a bit closer to you. So um, I ended up seeing this guy called Charlie in Queenstown who um, specialises in Chinese acupuncture and I know of lots of people that have been to him to try and help get pregnant. Mm. Um, You go in and see Charlie and he's quite a funny guy, but he (laughs) takes your pulses on your wrist and so there's three different pulses he can feel and they're all linked to different organs in your body. Um, and he also has this book he goes through and takes your birth date and your birth time and they sort of use that to predict what your life sort of looks like um, or what your life could look like so he was like oh you could have four babies you'll have no problem getting pregnant Um, you just need to get your systems working properly Mm. so yeah it was quite interesting like he's like you'll have two boys then two girls if that's what you want um I was like, okay, that's strange, but let's just go with it anyway. Mm-hmm. I just put a lot of faith in it. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, it feels unusual, but unusual doesn't mean it's bad sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went to see Charlie quite a lot. It was quite a big commitment because it's two and a half hours to Queenstown each way. Mm-hmm. And we had Ted as well and a farm to run. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of juggling. Mum helped out a lot there. And, yeah, it was interesting, but I don't know if it helped, again, the overall result or not. But I really had I learnt in that that I have to be moving forward. I have to be doing something proactive to try and help that outcome. Yeah. Um, and so I felt like I was doing something. Um, we had our first appointment with Fertility Associates, sort of August, and I found the doctor really abrupt um, I wasn't expecting her to say that we should do IVF, but after that appointment, she, I basically felt like she she said, you should do IVF and that's a battle. And mm. I was like, is there nothing else we can do? Like, surely, surely there's more things that we can do. So I ended up having a, um, a scan to check for polycystic ovaries. I, my periods were quite painful. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that's like widely accepted is happening mm-hmm. but it's not actually normal yeah our periods shouldn't be shouldn't be painful but because it's mm-hmm. so common everyone's just like oh yeah you know that's just the way it is yeah um yeah so i got checked for polycystic ovaries that scan was an internal which i don't know why but i didn't expect that and it was really hard having a scan and looking up at the um tv screen and there's no baby like mm-hmm. yeah i found that that one really hard that was probably my first scan since I'd had Ted and mentally struggled with that one and then I also had an HSG test which is where they insert dye into your um, uterus and it goes through your tubes and comes out your ovaries to make sure nothing's blocked um, which was completely normal. Scott had a test and was everything was fine there as well Um, so like as everything looked on the outside, it was normal. And I guess we were kind of diagnosed with unexplained infertility. Mm. Um, so secondary 
unexplained infertility and through listening to different podcasts and stuff I found out that 50% of all infertility is secondary Mm -hmm. um, which is really high and it's just not really talked about a lot yeah so um, yeah and it's something that when you're in it you it's quite isolating you feel quite lonely Mm. because like I've got a great group of friends who are really supportive but sort of none of them had been through it and you don't want to I was always like I don't really want to tell that many people because we'll probably be pregnant next month and Mm. we won't need to worry about it but when you start talking about it after we got pregnant man there's so many people that have been through it Mm. and can't talk about it either and I totally understand why so anyway um worked with Charlie for a while having acupuncture and then I also started working with a herbalist just to try and get um, my ear quality really good to see if that would make a difference and I agreed with Helen my herbalist to work with her for four months and if we had no luck then we would do IVF Um, and yeah that's where we ended up we didn't get pregnant and in February last year so at that point it had been 18 months of trying um, we started IVF yeah and what was that experience like for you did you have much of an idea about what that meant and what you'd need to do from you know like from your perspective and yeah how did it go yeah so I'd done a lot of research so I was comfortable with what was going to happen um and we just tried to ask as many questions as we could with Mm. fertility associates um it's so there was quite a lot of blood tests and scans and things like that before and then what happens is on day one of your cycle so the day you get your period you ring them up and say I'm on day one and they'll tell you to start taking their first lot of injections on day two or three I think it is um my period was always on 28 days so I had it all planned out what was going to happen and then that month it just decided to be 26 days and (laughs) really threw me I actually had a um the day that we started taking the injections, I also had a colonoscopy that day just mm. to, I'd had a, a lot of pain in my stomach and I wanted to have that to make sure things were normal, but also make sure there was no endo um, mm. on my bowel, which can yeah. happen and everything was fine um, from that. So anyway, the same day that I had that, we started our first lot of injections you do eight to nine days of injections and one's a follicle stimulating hormone, which tells your brain to make lots of eggs. And the other one's um, a hormone that tells your brain not to release those eggs. So mm-hmm. in a normal cycle, an egg would be released obviously, and then fertilized or not fertilized. Yeah. yeah in this situation, it's you're told to store your eggs. Basically you have a scan and they um, you know, count the number of eggs and how big they are. And I was counting them on my fingers as she was um, reading them out to her, the nurse. And I counted 14 eggs. And oh, wow. I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, mm. Happy with that. All of different sizes. So I think we did an extra two days of injections just to try and get the small ones a bit bigger. Um, and all these appointments, by the way, I had to go in by myself because of COVID. So mm. Extra makes it extra isolating when you can't have your husband with yeah. you. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was okay with it because again, I felt like we were moving forward. Yeah. Um. So yeah, go up to Dunedin, have the scan, and then 
they give you a trigger shot in a little chili bag, which is kind of feel like a um, dealer <laughs> walking down the street <laughs> with a chili bag with an um, injection inside it, um, which is really time specific. So they say you've got to take it at exactly this time because it's X amount of hours later the eggs start releasing and you've got to be there for them to um, get them out. So, um, yeah, did the trigger shot. We went back up to Dunedin. That was probably the most uncomfortable car ride ever because your tummy's full of eggs. Um, and you like, I was really bloated and quite uncomfortable. I found the um, medication just gave me headaches and um, made me quite fatigued. But I, I think my mood was pretty stable. Scott might disagree, but um, <laughs> a lot of people say that their mood, they get big mood swings with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I go up to Dunedin. The egg retrieval, you were um, sedated but not put completely under. Mm-hmm. So, like, it kind of feels nice like if you know what I mean the drugs are quite good um they ended up getting nine eggs which I was really disappointed with because I'd counted 14 but those other ones weren't mature or weren't big enough sorry um so they take the yeah take the eggs out and they go through straight into the um lab with the um I can't remember the name of the doctor who fertilizes them but anyway they're fertilized at that point and you head off home and it's like the longest night of your life waiting mm. to see how many of them fertilize and yeah so had that night pretty much didn't sleep um we ended up so out of the nine eggs we had seven that were mature and seven all seven of them fertilized which was really good um so there wasn't many but the quality of the ones that were there well not that there wasn't many that's still a really good number but Um, The quality of them was really good. And then you wait um, five days, basically, to see if they fertilise. And we had four that got to day five. So three, yeah, didn't make it through the development stages. And, yeah, four did. So that was, like, I felt like we had four shots at it, which didn't feel like a lot, but it only takes one egg, so... Or one mm. embryo, sorry, mm. they are at the point, not eggs anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, head back up to Dunedin for the um, transfer and hop up on the table and they pop the embryo in and off you go home. And you yeah. pretend like you're pregnant and hope for the best. Um, yeah. At that point as well, you've um, got to start inserting these pessaries. It's, um, oh, my gosh, what is the hormone? I can't remember now, but anyway, these pessaries are horrible. It's like a little um, soft pill that you insert, and then it's like this waxy sort of substance. Um, but that's uh, sorry, it's progesterone. Oh yeah, um, yeah, just to try and help the baby stick. And yeah. two weeks, um, you wait have a blood test, and they ring you up and tell you if you're pregnant or not. I'd actually done a pregnancy test at home because I mm-hmm. couldn't wait. And, yeah, yeah we were pregnant. So yeah. amazing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. 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 How and are I, you feeling when you that positive test? Were you, like, expecting it? You're obviously hopeful, but... Um, um, yeah, no, nah, I wasn't. I didn't think it would work the first time around. I was. Yeah. I had a lot of doubt. Um, yeah, so when I, when I saw it, I was so emotional and... Um, mm. 
yes, Scotty was stoked. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was awesome. Such a good feeling. But I guess I didn't fully believe it. Oh, I don't even think I fully believed it until I held him. But um, mm. until I'd heard from Fertility Associates and they said they um, that you know your HCG levels. Yeah. And then you go back for another test, I think it's two days later, and they were going up in the right rate. So, yeah, we're definitely definitely pregnant, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point they said to me, yeah, you're pregnant, so um, schedule a, they schedule a dating scan at seven weeks. Yeah. Um, and they sort of said to me, I'll just wait until then to get a midwife. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I know that there's a massive midwife shortage down here <laughs> and I wanted our same yeah. midwife again, so I just rang her straight away. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I think if you waited, if I'd waited until seven weeks, you'd really struggle to get in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And how um, were you feeling in this pregnancy? So once you'd sort of done your dating scan, did you have many first trimester symptoms? Probably quite similar to Ted. Um, Tired, which is extra because you've got a toddler. I had a toddler to run around with. (laughs) Well, I was probably a bit more nauseous. I, as I've mentioned earlier, I had hurt my back, which mm. got really sore with pregnancy. I could barely walk some days. Mm. Um, I found that quite hard to deal with, but I was just stoked to be having a baby. So mm. I guess I found it, you know, hard being sore, but I knew it was for the, you know, the right reasons, mm. I guess. Mm. And what about like your previous birth? Did it make you think that you wanted to do anything different this time around in terms of birth education or like any thoughts on how you might have wanted this birth to go? Um, I definitely wanted to do more education. I had been listening to a lot of your podcasts and I knew that it could be, that birth could be really amazing. Um, mm. so I just needed to, I guess, empower myself because I yeah. had a lot of doubt. I was like, oh, maybe I'm just not built to birth or maybe I just can't do it and mm. have an elective C-section or something like that. But um, I read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth nice. and I found that really good. That gave me a lot of, um, yeah, tools, I guess. I got um, birth combs to use at a TENS machine again um, and just a lot of mental preparation to deal with the pain yeah yeah and were you going to go to hospital this time or did you want to go to the birth center um I wanted to go to the birth center and Scott wanted to go to the hospital (laughs) um just so that we were there if um anything happened where we live we have to go through Gore anyway to get to Invercargill so after we talked to the midwife um he was a lot more comfortable after talking to her knowing what they have there to deal with emergencies yeah. um, and knowing that we'd stop off in Goa and if anything was wrong, we could carry on to Invercargill. Yeah, yeah. And were there any concerns around low growth in this pregnancy? Yes, so um, I had growth scans again with Reggie and a similar sort of thing happened actually. So he... Mm-hmm. Um, was fine and then they had the last scan at 36 weeks and they were like oh yeah no he's fine even if he drops off now he'll um he's big enough that it won't like he won't get too small um 
but I was sort of like, are you sure that you don't want to do another scan just with what happened to Ted? But mm. they, they were comfortable to let me carry on without another scan at that point. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And talk us through the end stage of your pregnancy. Um, what was, yeah, those last couple of weeks like, and then what was your labor and birth story from there? Yeah. So I um, just had in my mind that I would probably have him about 39 weeks because that's when Ted arrived. So I was yeah. like, even though I was induced, I knew that that wasn't, there's no logic to it, but yeah. what I was hoping for, I was quite keen to not go over with my back pain and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and yeah, I felt physically quite over it. With Reggie, actually, we'd found out that he was a boy at 20 weeks. Um, I, I know this sounds really bad, but I was really keen for a girl. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to be, well, Scott wanted to find it anyway, but I wanted to be mentally prepared mm. to not be disappointed when he was born. And yeah. obviously he's a boy. Um, and at the time I was really disappointed because mm. I had in my mind that we were going to have a girl. But once I dealt with it and, you know, come to the idea of having a boy and brothers like for Ted it's really cool to have a brother and um I was fine with it and I think for me it really did help finding out early um Scott was then a bit disappointed he's like I've not really got anything to look forward to now like obviously Mm -hmm. having a baby but you know there's no exciting surprise Mm -hmm. at the end of it Mm -hmm. so I think he would have not found out (laughs) um so anyway getting to the end of the pregnancy it was yeah, like 39 weeks, we're actually renovating our bathroom <laughs> and the builder and the plumber were here just putting the, you know, things back in place and I came home from dropping Ted off at Kindy and I just started feeling a bit of, you know, a bit uneasy. I sort of felt <laughs> something was happening. The day before I'd had some reflexology just to oh, see yeah. if it would help things move yeah. along a bit, which if anything, like if it didn't help, it was a really nice um, foot massage. Mm. So I'll take that, but perhaps it helped. Um, yes, yeah, so the builder and the plumber were here, poor guys. I was, they said, <laughs> how are you going? I was like, oh, I actually think I'm in labour. And they, the look on their faces was like, oh, my God, don't have it on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, gosh, we're going to have to help deliver a baby here. But yeah, <laughs> poor guys. But so I just hid away in my bedroom and um, – I actually got like a real bad chill, which at the time I was just like, oh, this is just what labour is because I'd never had a spontaneous labour. But it turns out it was probably a virus. And Mm. anyway, carried on labouring during the day, just sort of quietly and um, walking around the garden outside, doing some curb walking. Mum came down um, so that she could look after Ted. Um, for us because I thought you know we're sort of on here and um, that night I tried to sleep but I couldn't really sleep I think it was a mixture of excitement and nerves and Mm. I just sort of wanted to be up and I just lay on the couch and watch the crown sort of Um, it was really interesting actually we have two dogs and they wouldn't come near me I thought um, they would be you know, quite close to me and I was trying to get one of them to jump up on the couch with me and have a cuddle but he was like no I'm not I'll stay nearby but sort of keep my distance it was really interesting um so yeah labored during the night and then the next morning 
um, a lot more curb walking, walking around outside and just I really liked being outside in our garden and in the fresh air. It was quite a nice day. So we yeah. rang the – my midwife actually was um, – he was born on the Saturday and she finished for three or four days on the Friday night. So yeah. I was gutted because I really wanted her to be there for the birth. But she had a student mm-hmm. working with her who was on that weekend. So – we had the student and her backup midwife. Yeah, so on the Saturday morning, I was just walking around labouring at home and we rang up the midwife and let her know. Um, I just felt like there was things would build up quite nicely, tighten and then drop off really nicely. Yeah. So it wasn't um, comfortable, I wouldn't say, but it also wasn't horrendously uncomfortable. Yeah. Um and, yeah, I just liked being outside. Mum was looking after Ted, so I didn't have to worry about him. And, yeah, Scott just sort of wandered around with me or left me to it. Um, we decided – I jumped in the shower at about sort of 8.30 yeah. and things intensified a bit. So we sort of decided to head into Gore at that point um, to the hospital so I could be checked. And, um, yeah, drive in. It's about 20 minutes and I felt like he was going so slow. I was like, can you hurry this along a bit? Like, I'm in labour here. <laughs> and found it afterwards. He was just trying to avoid the bumps. But um, yeah. I think a bit of speed probably would have been more appreciated <laughs> at the point. Got to the hospital and um, things had dropped off quite a bit. Like, yeah, yeah it, wasn't, it wasn't as intense. And she checked me and I was only three centimetres. Um, and I was just really disheartened. I didn't want to turn around and go back home and especially like I'd said you know to Ted we're off to have the baby now and um said goodbye to him and I didn't want to have to go back and like kind of upset where he was at as well yeah yeah um so anyway I really wanted to get in the pool but she advised that I perhaps try the shower just to be upright rather than sitting Mm down um so I hopped in the shower and put the water on my lower back and it really got things going quickly again. So we arrived there at quarter past nine and I was three centimetres. Hopped in the shower. I'm not sure how long I was in there for, but I ended up going back out so she could check me and I was sort of leaning over the bed and things were quite intense and I said, I'm going to vomit. So grabbed a bucket and I went a little bit crazy then, I think. Scott was trying to sort out the farm and things that, on his phone and I was like, can you just get over here and help me? <laughs> cool thing. But yeah. um yeah, as it turns out, after doing that for about ten minutes and vomiting, my waters broke. Um the whole bag came out and smashed on the ground, which like mm. a water bottle. Which I thought only happened in movies, but apparently yeah. not. Mm. Um and I almost my body sort of almost pushed it out. Yeah. And then it really cranked up. Um, it felt quite out of control, and I think that that was probably transition. Um, I'd got yeah. this tip, and I'm not sure if it was from a podcast or from Ina May's book, but mm. I imagine like a lion sitting in long grass. It sounds really weird, but it really helped me. Um, and like it breathing in for to take a roar was like my contraction building up, and yeah. then at the peak was like it roaring and releasing. And yeah. like breathing through the grass, and if I visualised that with a contraction, it just helped me mm. sort of process it. I yeah. don't know. 
um, no, the power of visualization, right? It's huge. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I was using squeezing the birth combs as well. Yeah. Um, so after my waters broke, my body just, I felt like it started pushing. Mm. And I was sort of saying to them, what's happening? Like, I feel like mm. I'm ready to push. And it had yeah. only been probably an hour at this point when she said I was 33 centimetres. I was like, oh, God, I could have like another seven or eight hours of this. Um, and when it really built up, I was like, I can't handle it. Um, I can't do this for another five or six hours. But as it turned out, I was actually ready to push. Um, so I went from three centimetres to fully dilated in about an hour, um, which is my midwife yeah, wow. afterwards was like, that's pretty unreal. The student, <laughs> student midwife definitely hadn't um, experienced that before, so that was nice yeah. to give her something new. Um, and my body just started involuntary pushing. I didn't. I just sort of had to concentrate my um, energy in the right direction, but my body basically did it for me, which was a really bizarre thing to try and explain because you think you have to push, and in most cases people probably do, but, mm. yeah, my body just pushed for me. Yeah. So I hopped yeah. up on the bed sort of backwards. The birthing bed and gauze got these handles on the back of it, and so I was facing backwards and just concentrated my energy in the right direction and he I felt him starting to come out um and the midwife said this is gonna hurt just try and slow down mm -hmm. I was like I can't slow down my body's doing it mm -hmm. obviously I was quite animated at this point but um <laughs> there's no way I could have slowed him mm -hmm. down and he came out in one push one mm -hmm. like his whole body um was delivered all at once yeah, which was unreal. I just kept on saying, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah. yeah. And I thought I would have teared really badly. But um, as it turns out, I just had a small tear and needed two stitches. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah, especially after Ted's birth. And I just felt amazing. Yeah. I felt so empowered. And yeah, yeah, definitely that um, magical second birth that I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And what sort of happened next? Like, did they pass him up to you? And you obviously knew he was a boy. Like, you know, I just remember yeah. that feeling of being like, holy shit, I can't believe I've just done that. So <laughs> that was, was exactly, the, exactly what I was saying. My um, The cord was quite short. So yeah. they actually, um, I sort of had to stay as I was until it stopped pulsing. And then they clamped it and Scott cut it. And then they could pass him up to me. I could turn around and they put him on my chest and I just remember looking down at him and being like oh my god he's the most perfect um little <laughs> thing in the world yeah it was really cool and Scott was quite emotional which was yeah. understandable um and then yeah we just we were there for quite a while having skin to skin and then Scott had some skin to skin with him while I got um stitched up they gave me gas for that which was awesome <laughs> yeah. quite good to yeah. um have a bit of a break and have some gas yes um yeah got the milo and the toast and then we moved through to the um like the normal room out of the birthing room I, oh, I had a shower before that and got cleaned up and things like that yeah um and I sort of didn't really realize but they'd taken his blood sugars and his temperature, and his temperature was only about 36 degrees, which is quite low. 
um, well, very low, and his blood mm. sugars were, they were really concerned about his blood sugars. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say really concerned at that point. They were concerned enough that they sort yeah. of said, right, we need to really get him breastfeeding and feed him as much as possible um, to try and get his blood sugars up. So we did that and retested him. I think it was every 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. Um, and they weren't coming up at all. We ended up using up all the dextrose that was in the Gore Hospital to try and mm. get his blood sugars up, and they just weren't yeah. budging. Yeah. Um, so they decided at that point to transfer us down to neonatal again. <laughs> yeah. How were you there. feeling about that? I said, I remember saying to Scott, that's weird, I just feel like you have a baby, then you go to neonatal, like that's what we're sort of denying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was probably a bit more concerned, so I, Scott went out and got the capsule because I thought, you know, we'd just drive down in the car, but yeah. um, then they said, no, no, we're going in the ambulance, and I was like, oh, like, right, yeah. okay, this yeah. would be serious. We then had to wait for an ambulance, um, yeah. which at the time, again, I was just, was they weren't raising any concerns sort of thing. But yeah. afterwards we found out we should have really been rushed down. Um, mm. We waited for about two hours for an ambulance. Um, mm. And actually we should have been rushed down there as quickly as possible because it turns out he was quite sick. Yeah. Yeah. So we got down to neonatal and um, they very quickly put a line in, um, which was really horrible to watch. And a mm. little baby, they sort of squeeze their hand back and try and put it in the back of their hand. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like really quickly started him on antibiotics, thinking it could yeah. have been sepsis or an infection of some description. Yeah. He had a rash as well, um, kind of like a pimply rash. Mm. And yeah, they started the antibiotics and tried to get his temperature back up. Um, to where it needed to be and yeah we were back in there I was put on the ward as a patient um, which again I just felt like a bit of mm. I don't know a bit of a hassle for them I had to yeah. the whole time I was on the ward I had to ask them we you know that you know if I needed pain relief I had to go and ask for it mm. um, the first night the neonatal nurses said, you go and get a full night's sleep. Um, I think I pumped again, and then they said, just sleep and come back in the morning sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and the ward nurses sort of came in at about 5 o'clock in the morning, and they were like, are you all right? Like, do you need anything? And I was mm. like, sorry for being a hassle. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't have my baby there. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Like I was just sort of in the way, mm. um, and I don't think they do that intentionally, but it's just sort of yeah. how it feels. Yeah. Um, so poor wee Reggie. So they got his. Um, oh, actually, I should say before we went down to Invercargill, Ted came in and met him, and it was just it was so cool watching yeah. him meet for the first time. That the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we were, he was in an incubator and they managed to get his temperature back up. I think after two days, they still hadn't figured out what was wrong with him. They mm. started him on more anti, different antibiotics and an antiviral, um, but he just wasn't right. And I had actually said to them, I was like, oh, this is what happened with Ted. He was sick as well. He'll be right in a couple of days. Mm. So just a bit of extra help, thinking maybe this is just what my babies do, but 
in hindsight, I could tell that they were a lot more concerned than that. Yeah. Um, and so they got his temperature up and he was moved into like a bassinet type bed, but then his temperature went way too high, like up to about 39 degrees. Yeah. Um, so they had to move him back into the incubator to try and cool him back down again. Um, after, on day four or five, um, they still didn't know what was wrong with him and they decided to do a lumbar puncture to check for meningitis, which freaked me out because when you think of meningitis, you just mm. think we're a scenario. Um, yeah. I'd been moved into the Ronald McDonald house at that point, which is like the most amazing facility ever. And mm. Invercargill is connected to the neonatal ward, basically. You just walk through a couple yeah. of doors and you're right there, which is really cool. Yeah, um, yeah so they, they did the lumbar puncture in nothing flared up instantly for bacterial meningitis, which was a relief. Um, but after another day, they got finally got a diagnosis for viral meningitis. Mm, okay. um, and so we sort of figured out that the, I said that I had like a chill when I was in labor. Mm. Um, and Ted had actually had a rash, but I was like, oh, it's just a virus. Like kids mm. just get viruses. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly what it was. Um but it had got into Reggie's um, spinal fluid mm. and made him really sick. So, yeah, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, um, gosh, that's scary. Really scary. Um, yeah. And actually at that point they stopped all the antibiotics and antiviral because there's nothing you can do for a virus. You just have to wait mm. for it to sort of um, do its thing. They gave him Pamol and that's about all. The poor wee thing, yeah. he, like, I couldn't hold him for maybe two or three days um, because you could just tell he was in so much pain and mm-hmm. he was just lying on his tummy whimpering. Um, he was on lots of different monitors and things. They had to yeah. his um, oxygen levels just dropped off quite a lot. Yeah, it was horrible. And he was on mm-hmm. a feeding tube as well at that point. Um, and then I was able to hold him again, which was really good for both of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we were ended up in there for eight nights, and I think Scott mm-hmm. got to hold him once the whole time we were in there. So that was really hard for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't have any visitors other than family. Um, mm-hmm. It was quite lonely again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, even though there's like lots of well, the neonatal ward was full um, when I was down there. So there mm-hmm. was other families staying in Ronald McDonald and stuff like that. But it's just not the same as your own people. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah. And actually when they figured out that it was a virus, they moved the other babies out of Reggie's room because, you know, there's some really sick little babies in there and if they caught a virus, it could be really bad for them. Yeah, um, yeah. So suddenly you're in there by in the room, everyone's moved into a different room and you feel, I felt mm-hmm. like, um, I don't know, a leper <laughs> almost <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there was something wrong with us, but um, yeah. they're just trying to prevent any risk yeah. of contamination or spread. Yeah. 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 And how did you find, like, sort of processing when you were able to leave there and go home? And, like, did you worry about his health or, yeah, how have things been since? Yeah. So after they got, after we got that diagnosis, he pretty much turned a corner that day and okay. hurt up a lot. Um, again, those nurses were absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And then 
the doctor had sort of said like be prepared for like a two week stay sort of thing. Um, just I guess she was preparing us for the worst. But they said to me on the after it had been seven days, you you can go home tomorrow, which was like the best feeling in the world. I was really missing Ted. Um, mm. Being away from home was probably the hardest. But and he was struggling as well because he didn't mm. understand why Mum and Reggie weren't at home, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's only three, so yeah. it's hard for him to try and get his head around that. Um, yeah. So yeah, when we when they said that, I pretty much packed my deck bags instantly. It was mm. like get down here and get me out of out of this place. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it was so awesome getting home with him. Um, obviously, a whole new world having two babies or two kids mm. to worry about. Mm. Um, but Reggie's such a cruisy wee guy. Like, <laughs> I think he's got an old soul. He's been here yeah. before. Sort of thing he, you know, I put him down to to go to bed, and he'll wide awake, giggling, and he'll go to sleep. It's like he's mm. like, okay, yeah, Mum said I need to sleep now, so I need to sleep. Yeah. It was really, really cool, and Ted absolutely adores him. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's really sweet with him. So, like, every day I say to Ted, what What are you grateful for? Or what do you love today? And almost every day he'll say, I love Reggie. And oh, so, so sweet. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and then he'll turn around and say, I don't love you, Mum. But I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know you do, but that's okay. Yeah. As long as you love Reggie, that's the main thing. Okay. Yeah, so that's really made the transition to two mm. easy, having a really great little baby, and I feel like we mm. probably deserve it, to be honest. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and having Ted being so good as well. Like, yeah. definitely there's moments. Um, and I think hindsight uh, – not hindsight, sorry. The knowledge of the second child is really good as well. Like, you know everything's just a moment in time. If you have yeah. one sleep with night, you'll sleep again. You'll get to sleep yeah. at some some stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree for sure. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you, Kate, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us all. I think, yeah, what a journey. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is really, I think, important to share. You know, all of these different experiences around birth and postpartum and. Yeah, I'm just grateful that you're willing to come on and share with us and that you've got two beautiful, healthy little boys now. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it and I look forward to being back in your ears very soon. As always, I'm so grateful that you chose to listen to this podcast and to support me indirectly <laughs> um, by listening. So super grateful. And yeah, I look forward to bringing you another beautiful story next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.